um, you know, becomes important to what you're building and the code you're loading into your containers. It, it's the same thing. Control your exposures by hardening and patching. Uh, you're just doing it differently. You're doing it within application code itself. <laughs> Uh, yeah, same thing, Lambda functions, right? Making sure that you're taking care of basic security hygiene within your code. It's just, you, you're going up the stack in the model, but it's the same concept, hygiene. Well, hey guys, it's Jeff Deverter, the host of Cloud Talk. And you've probably figured out that today's conversation is all about security and security from the point of view of a cloud native world. And I'm joined by Gary Alterson, who comes with a pedigree of a wealth of information and experience, and now is the leader of security at Rackspace for all of our products. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. So from the beginning of when businesses hung out their first shingle, they've had to also figure out how to protect themselves from people who would try to take what they have, whether that is exploiting them as individuals or whether that is taking their goods and services. And nowhere is that more true than in the digital age. So today I am joined by Gary Alterson. Now, Gary uh, is the Vice President of Security Services here at Rackspace Technology. And I asked Gary to be a part of the program today so that we could dig into some of the nuances of what's going on in cloud-based security today. But to start our conversation, I asked Gary, why don't you give some examples of where things have gone south in cybersecurity? Oh, wow. Uh, lots of examples of that. Luckily, you know, um, or unluckily uh, in, in security, there's there's quite a few examples of that. It tends to be the, the norm, unfortunately. Um, one of the probably more interesting examples where, where there are tons of lessons learned, uh, I had the opportunity to work with a, a global pharmaceutical company um, who... Uh, basically became collateral damage for a, an attack uh, against another company in the Ukraine. Um, that oh, wow. company was attacked by uh, malicious code uh, that basically autom it was automated in terms of how it spread. Uh, it got out on the internet and got in to this other company. Um, and Basically, within seven minutes from a, a single PC being infected on the internet, uh, it happening to be VPNing in to uh, the whole network, uh, and I mean every single server, workstation, um, manufacturing device on the factory floor that was Windows-based, um, being shut, basically locked down, um, and it took seven. Amazing. And, and the scary part was the SOC could see it happen. The SOC actually, they've got, they had really ability. They could see the infection spreading, but they didn't have any automation in place to stop it. They were powerless to stop it. So they knew it was happening, and they knew what the end result was going to be, but there was nothing they could do. And 
Um, it's like it's like sitting on board the bridge of the Titanic. You've just passed the iceberg. You know what's coming, and you're powerless and to help you're, it. You're powerless to do anything. Um, okay, so what was the result? What was the result of this infection spreading? It, it took weeks for cleanup uh, to to get you know um, machines back online and factories back online. Uh, it uh, it. Um, it was scary there for this company, right? Um, you know, significant amount of financial damages. Um, more importantly, um, some of the uh, stock of medicine that they shipped were starting to run out. Um, and they were wow. in, um, I, I don't know if I can say just how far, but you know, within a short period of time, uh, had they not been able to get the factories back online, they would have had to stop shipping medicines to hospitals. They, they are life-saving for people you know so so um pretty pretty big impact and people say there are no um there are no victims in a digital crime mm, i disagree uh, there's always victims in a digital crime whether directly or or indirectly um right and uh, i mean in this company it took years to to truly clean up remediate um you know, do what they needed to do to make sure an event like this wouldn't happen again. Um, and, and that's, I think, pretty important, right? Because here was a company in the middle of starting a digital transformation. And, you know, an event like this happened and they lost track of, of the story, right? Really quick. Um, yeah. And, you know, well, yeah, some of the things that they did remediate also sort of helped them along with the digital transformation. The, the core transformational piece of what they were looking to do slowed down, right? Obviously, because they had to spend a lot of money and spend a lot of management attention and focus on um, remediating, remediating the event. So, uh, and, and we see this over and over again uh, as companies start their, whether it's a journey to cloud, you know, um, some other portion of digital transformation, automating factories and, and their IOT, or um, even just under COVID, especially with that whole movement towards remote access, you know, companies moving fast, uh, seeking to transform fast because either some external event is causing it like COVID or um, because there's a disruptor in their space, right? And so they also have to either keep up or be the disruptor uh, in their business in their business area or in their sector to, to survive. And so they're moving fast from a digital transformation standpoint. Um, and security becomes not a blocker, but a, a, a slower because um, either they don't have the right security processes in place to be able to move quickly and securely, um, or they uh, uh, think they they are secure, or but end up getting breached, and you know money attention uh, goes towards remediating the breach, uh, and um, boards become less risk adverse uh, when when you know a significant breach happens, so their transformation slows. 
Well, you know, a lot to unpack there, but 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 ultimately, you know, you, you've you've thrown us into the deep end of the pool. I wanted to hear about somebody who got locked out, not about people who, you know, were about not to get medicine because they were locked out of the pharmacy, locked out of this pharmaceutical company. The the manufacturing was down and shipping was down. Everything. What an um, what a what a but what a great example that when digital security is not uh, appropriately considered at all aspects that there are real, very real ramifications. And boy, you've had the opportunity over your career over the past 25 or so years to see some amazing change. So, you know, you 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 started, we talked earlier, you started working in the help desk, but eventually your path sort of drew you down a networking road, drew you as somebody who's in networking tends to get, but as uh, in the early days became the security guy. But what, what attracted you individually, Gary, to, you know what? Security is a thing I think I could sink my teeth into. I want to I stop the bad guy. What, what, what drew you in? I'm insanity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think probably what draws me to security the most is the industry itself and the, um, from a technology standpoint, as well as the adversary standpoint, has a really high metabolism, and so what I'm. What do you mean by that? Has a high metabolism. Um, things change really quickly, right? Um, yeah. Uh, attacker tactics change. We 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 buy install new technology. We change our defensive tactics um, processes. You know, we fix things. Then the attacker uh, tactics. Um, you know. Uh, react to that, right? Uh, and then we have to react again. So there's this constant cycle of change, reaction, evolution, um, almost like an arms race between the defenders and the adversaries. Yeah. And to me, as someone who gets bored really easy doing the same thing day in and day out, um, I was really attracted to um, the, the the speed uh, of the... Um, Change, speed of change in the industry, right? Um, you look, yeah, because every- you know, like somebody like myself, I came up out of out of out of system administration, and and some, coming up out of system administration, I was pretty much bound to, you know, when is Windows or Linux going? When's there going to be an update? That's when things would get exciting and everything would break, and we'd have fun fixing all that for a number of years, and then we we get to do it all again. But in security, you've got this 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 t- pull and tug of the. Yeah, the the companies put out some new remediation efforts, some bigger walls, some thicker capabilities, uh, and then off the the bad guys go to find a way around it. Um, you get to fight that battle. Then you know it's it's again back to innovation, back to deployment, back to find a way around it. Yeah. Uh, and this arms race yeah, just yeah. grows and grows. I love that phrase you use, arms race. Yeah, and it's an arms race that has also like other new elements thrown into it, right? Because technology isn't standing still either. So, you know, 10 years we were ago, 15 years ago, we were talking about firewalls and how to protect networks. Uh, now we're talking about how to protect uh, uh, companies as they move to cloud native environments, um, what to do about big data, AI, ML, right. um, and, and how to secure, um, you know, AI infrastructure and, 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 and um, code and, uh, you know, what to do about IoT, so, and, you know, whatever comes next. Quantum computing is going to add a, a really big, you know, curveball into a, a lot of encryption schemes. Um, and, and so there, there's always something new. Right. 
as well. So you've got this like arms race, and then you're throwing in like new types of weapons as you go. It'd be like, you know, cavemen fighting with clubs, and then you hand them hand them a gun. So, and, if, and in fact, if you think about how technology, I like how you're, you're saying just the new stuff coming along, but the way whole, the whole landscape has shifted recently, we've been talking kind of ad nauseum, it feels at some points, about, about low-code, no-code um, technology, because the digital fluency of just general business people is going up and up and up. And the amount of things that those folks can touch and impact, I mean, that threat surface just gets exposed. If you thought you put up a big wall, you're actually just staring through a sieve. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's an interesting one because in security, we've never gotten our arm around getting developers to develop secure code consistently, right? And now you've got um, <laughs> business folks uh, in, in code and low code and no code environments are starting to build functionality as well. Um, you know, hopefully that the packages they're doing on the back end that's writing the code for them uh, are, are, is producing to your code, but you know, who knows? And it, it's probably inconsistent and they, they go off, they do something new um, and there might need to be some new controls put in place or, you know, some new validation. Of, of what's going on and, and, you know, security built into that process as well. So I sort of let this, this FUD in our conversation proliferate and go a couple of different directions because where I think I'd like to maybe turn our conversation now, we, we all know it's hard. We all know it's different now than what it was. Um, but what we don't know, well, we do know a bunch of buzzwords like zero trust and other stuff. But what, where I thought we might go now, Gary, to just to, to chat about is somebody who's lived this transformation from, from where you have in the mid-90s to where we are today in the early 2020s is let's just talk some strategy. Now, it doesn't have to, don't, don't give it to me in a strength rank list, but let's just talk about some of those ways that, that for our, our listening audience, these IT decision makers, that are strategies that they can do, even stuff it's, if, it's, if it's as simple as, you know, what is my consistent training plan to, to teach my, my user base to not click the thing? Because that's where people get into a lot of trouble. But what are, what are some strategies? And we can, we can talk about those and, and pick them apart. What would be the first thing that you might say, you know, here, if you do nothing else, do this, please. <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I think um, there's, call it, I'm going to, I'm going to say three. There's, there's, there's probably more than that, but I'll, I'll say the top three things uh, you can do. Yeah. Um, the first off is um Protect your endpoints, essentially. Like it all starts with with endpoints. Uh, you rightfully pointed out that you know there are people on the back end of servers and or workstations and, and phones and uh, iPads and tablets all doing work, right? For, you know, and, and those people are, are probably the biggest vulnerability any organization has, um, and uh, you can train and train. Nice, and train. nice, well-meaning people, but they're a vulnerability. They're a vulnerability. And you can train and train and train. Um, but even the best trained people screw up every once in a while. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a question of you've got to train everybody right and they have to do everything right all the time versus uh, an adversary just having to send the right message or the right pretext or have the right conversation with somebody wants. 
uh, and um, you, you're stuck. So um, getting visibility to what's going on in an endpoint, where the, the things that those people are using, the first point where you know yeah. technically you can identify, hey, something happened with the end user that has caused something anomalous to happen on this endpoint that we weren't expecting or shouldn't happen. Um, and be able to flag that, research it, identify it, stop it, you know, is 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 critical. So, yeah. so getting a real view onto endpoints, and I and I don't mean antivirus. There's there's antivirus was the answer years ago when I started, right? Um, but there, you know, antivirus is yeah. sort of table stakes. Um, what I'm talking about now is more. Um, the ability to detect and respond here more heuristically. There, there's some additional AIML. There's um, you know better visibility that we get to what's happening on an endpoint beyond just you know signature-based antivirus. Yep, and I think maybe one thing to also kind of call out, and it's more on the human human side. So so our humans are our biggest vulnerability. But unless, I guess we have a repeat offender, a many, many repeat offender, that it's super important to not necessarily berate or penalize someone when they've done something wrong, because that drives that behavior of, I can't tell anybody I clicked it. Right. Um, and, and as you pointed out in your opening section, time really matters in these situations. Uh, you, you said sort of two things to unpack there. One is, you know, what do you do with your users? How do you... How do you treat them? Do you educate them? Yeah, you educate them, right? Um, but let's be honest, um, most of the education today is is pretty ineffective. Um, either I'm watching a, a video or, or I got to take a, 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 a web class and like anybody else, I'm probably not paying attention to my mandatory web class. Uh, I'm doing other things and letting the video run. Um, uh, uh, and we're, we're not basically yeah. training the right things, like training somebody to go and look in email headers and determine where the email, whether the email might have been spoofed or not, is not something that we're going to train folks to do. But training people to be just a little bit more paranoid is, is, is probably worth it, right? You know, think of it uh, in, um, in, in non-IT terms, right? If you're playing at the park with your kid, and a stranger comes up and talks to your kid, you're going to be instantly suspicious. Yet, all the time, folks are looking and, and talking to us about, you know, our digital kids and we're um, calling us up and asking us something about technology and yeah. we're sharing it. Uh, in fact, you know, with social media, we're sharing a lot of that really. Yeah. I love that example of the kid and the stranger because we really need to, you know, I, I, I poked fun at the phrase zero trust earlier, um, but us as users really need to not trust anything coming across our email threshold, our feed threshold or whatever. You know, very rarely does somebody just email me with something, well, let alone nice to say, but here, here, here's a gift. All you have to do is accept it. And that's um, probably my second point, right? Which is now that you've gotten some visibility to what's going on on those endpoints and be able to protect them, uh, is as you provide access to your systems, um, ensure that the person on the endpoint, as well as the endpoint itself, is trustworthy. That's sort of the basis of zero trust, which is you don't assume trust um, you validate it. Yeah. 
uh, and, and you continually evaluate it before you provide access, allow a process to run. You know, the, the basis of zero trust as a concept is don't trust things. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, whether it's access, whether it's communication uh, on your network, um, you know, like physical boundaries don't matter. You know, uh, uh, what matters is the trustworthiness of things. But, so, but, but Gary, you know, is that but, but Gary, I'm, I'm connecting into my corporate resources on the laptop that my company gave me. Why wouldn't they trust my laptop? He asked sarcastically. Because your laptop is connected to a network, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and, you know, you're getting email on that. You're, you're browsing the web on that, right? It, you know, it, yep. um, and more than likely not, you're not on your physical network anyways. Uh, you know, you're, you're off in remote access at an airport, at Starbucks, uh, at your house, um, and, and so, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you want to validate that, you know, that laptop is still good and you want to validate that it's not somebody pretending to be you on a pretend corporate laptop. Yeah. So the example, I think the example, you know, just to make it kind of tangible, I mean, I kind of said tongue in cheek, here's my laptop, but yes, I do use my work provided laptop to connect to corporate resources. For instance, I get into one of our SaaS based offerings. Um, you know, the first thing I'm hit with is how about a username and password? All right, I'll give it to you. All right. How about, um, that security pin that's tied to another device, uh, another authentication mechanism. So we, we, we employ a two factor authentication on our corporate resources, which is obviously super smart and it helps make sure that one, it's the right device, it's the right person. And it really is both of those things. Right. And, and it goes beyond two factor, right? Um, so two factors is definitely, when we think about zero trust as an access mechanism, which is really what we're talking about here, um, you know, we're thinking about multi-factor authentication. We're thinking about risk scoring of that authentication device. Because if, if I'm Jeff and I'm in San Antonio and I'm logging in at noon and I'm Jeff and I'm in uh, Seoul, South Korea at 1 p.m. logging in as well, um, there's probably something wrong. Um, so, you know, some kind of risk. <laughs> probably. I'm a talented individual, but I'm not that talented. You don't move that fast. Um, and, and then is that device you're logging in from actually good? Is it up to date on its protections? Is it, you know, is it fully patched? Is the OS up to date? You know, getting some signals or profiling the device itself before you make that access decision, because that all plays into whether or not you should trust the person and the device they're on. So you're, you're bringing up a great, a great point here, Gary. In fact, I'm going to draw it back to when you told us the scary story at the beginning where, um, and, and it's what I think is true of most major disasters outside of a couple of notable historical things. And that is, it's never one big coordinated thing. Most times it's a bunch of tiny little things that snowballed into the wrong situation. Go back to your pharmaceutical company example. Somebody was was connected to the internet or to VPN in, but they also clicked a thing, one little deal. And because there was, you know, no limits in place to how, how that VPN connected in and how far it could reach down, down went the world for them. Yeah. Or, or um, in this case, they had, their machine was just a little late in getting patched. Oh. Uh, and you know, 
some automated code got onto it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, whether they're clicking something or, or things aren't patched, um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's those little things that snowball. And then having a series of controls, like we talk about defense in depth and security. And the reason why is because even if had that happened, had the network in this case had additional uh, controls in place, whether it's segmentation, right? You know, so that person can get something, those things get sort of screwed up, but the rest of the network is able to operate and the thing can't spread as far um, to, you know, um, intrusion prevention to, um, you know, host-based uh, protection on some of the servers uh, through appropriate firewalling between IT and OT. Right, there's, there's, there's a, a whole bunch of like cascading things that organizations can do to provide that defense in depth um, to yeah. limit uh, the impact of, of a potential incident. Um, it's hard, it's expensive, but the, the reason why we talk about defense in depth and security is because typically, you know, relying on one thing to go right 100% of the time, really, really hard. Yep. Right. But relying on overlapping layers that fail in different places in different ways, you know, makes it a whole lot harder. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I take some some, you know, self-defense sort of classes and, and such. And one of the, the phrases you hear a lot is situational awareness. Part of situational awareness is when you get into a situation, have already played through the scenario in your mind of if this happens, you know, What's the blast radius? What's going to happen? How far can it go? What am I going to do to respond to that? And so when you think about your corporate security um, strategy, you know, role play, role play, you know, uh, Bob or Jane user who are innocently doing a thing. And if they do the bad thing, malicious or not, what is the blast radius of, of that scenario and how can it be contained? People are always going to accidentally do a thing. We have to, we have to assume our employees best intent here. Um, they may they may make mistakes, but we have to assume best intent. But how can we control the blast radius? Yeah, yeah, and that um, brings me to sort of the, the third piece of, of what I think is important. Um, you know, the first was end users. The second one was was trust for access, mm -hmm. and then the third is um, oh gosh, I'm probably going to add on a fourth on this. <laughs> <laughs> but the third is um, with in your systems, you know, um, do the basic hygiene, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the easiest sort of defense in depth thing you can do. Yes, you can do my, you can do segmentation yeah. in your network. You can apply, you know, additional security devices. But the best and easy, best thing you can do is just do, um, just do patching. Uh, harden your servers and patch them. We've been saying this since when did I start? 1995. Yeah, uh, and we still don't do this appropriately. It's like basic security hygiene. Um, internally, you know, that's patching. Mm -hmm. um, externally, as you move into public cloud, um, yes, you're managing VMs. Uh, you'd do that hygiene differently. You'd automate it. It would be uh, you, you wouldn't patch, you'd bring up new images and take down old images and uh, VMs and things like that. But it's the same basic uh, uh, problem. And then you add on to it things like, okay, how do I 
do, uh, um, how do I control my security exposures and, and vulnerabilities uh, across a cloud environment? Yeah. And maybe, you know, um, basic security hygiene includes some bit of cloud posture management or understanding uh, uh, how you're configuring, you know, your cloud infrastructure itself. Um, but it's all the basic concept. Got it. Basic okay. security hygiene, you know, harden and patch. <laughs> so just because we have all this new cool, cool capabilities, it doesn't mean we don't have to do the stuff we've always had to do. We just have to do more, but we still have to do the blocking we, and tackling of security, patching, you have to do it different. Uh, hardening, all yeah. of that stuff. You, you, you do it differently, right? And, and even as you, you start to build serverless, um, you know, uh, uh, it becomes important to know uh, what you're building and the code you're loading into your containers. Um, you know, it, it, it's the same thing. Control your exposures by hardening and patching. Uh, you're just doing it differently. You're doing it within application code itself. <laughs> uh, yeah, same thing, Lambda functions, right? Making sure that you're uh, um, taking care of basic security hygiene within your code. It's just, you, you're going up the stack in in the OSI, you know, in, in the, in the, in yeah, the model, but it's, it's the same, it's the same concept, hygiene, right? Hygiene. All right. So you said you had three, but maybe you'd sneak a fourth one into there. Um, you know, what's a, what's a parting shot on security? So this is really good stuff. Um, you know, team, we're going to continue the conversation in security uh, in the coming weeks because we really just can't, we can't talk about it enough. And we'll always lead with a scary story because it's very motivating. But uh, how about how about one last thing for us to think about on the security side? Um, yeah, if, if I had to add a fourth, uh, because it is sort of critical, um, it's visibility. Uh, and making sure that you have that transparency to uh, what's going on, because you can't basically react or respond without that visibility. Uh, and that visibility, um, you know, right. on a traditional, you know, legacy system is probably at, at the network level and, and at the host level. Uh, as you move into the cloud, you add cloud infrastructure as, as a piece of that. And, you know, as you move serverless, you know, it becomes visibility from an application standpoint um, because you, you lose that sort of traditional way we do it with network and, and, and host. But even then, in a traditional way, you should probably add some application visibility. You know, like that transparency to what's going on so that you can detect an anomalous event and then determine whether or not it's malicious and respond to it is, is really, really critical. And in fact, um, in cloud, it, it's almost part of that good security hygiene is making sure that you have that transparency uh, yeah. and visibility. You know, the, 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 the way you build cloud applications and you manage cloud and build security as code and infrastructure as code um, you know, visibility become in providing that visibility uh, just becomes part of that good hygiene. Yeah, and then um, you know, I think I would just sort of add on as we we start to wrap this up that you mentioned it earlier. And that was AI and ML, so don't be afraid to use the cool cool dev tech that the the developers get to play with these days and apply it because you know as long as you're you're aware of all the endpoints, you're aware of all the everything, and at least have that data coming in. Um, to your point earlier, some of this is happening so fast or so subtly 
uh, that um, that having a computer-based eye on that is is vitally important to be able to um, uh, flag things that are that are truly positives or identify false positives and and the like. All towards one creating a great user experience, but a very secure one for the organization and its and its precious data assets. Yeah, um, you know. The, there's two pieces to that, right? Don't be afraid to use AIML in your in your business application. Um, you know, do the things that you need yep. to do from a, a, a security hygiene around the application, as you would anything else. Uh, and then there's a, a great benefit from a, a transparency and detective response to be able to apply things like behavioral analytics to. Uh, be, you know, behaviors of objects in the cloud or network devices or users uh, to uh, identify you know, things that are interesting from a security perspective. Well, Gary, thank you so much for being on the program today. This was was excellent. You know, I think we truly have just scratched the surface. So I look forward to having you come back. We got to. I want to have a conversation around around tools. What are some of the great tools? Both, you know, stuff you run internally as well as cloud based. I want to have conversations around other techniques of of dealing with this. So I look forward to having you back. Thanks for being on the program today, Gary. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Well, 30 minutes certainly doesn't do justice to the topic of cloud security. You can bet we're going to have Gary back on to go much deeper into some of these areas of cloud-based security. Big thanks to Gary for being a part of the program today. Speaking of thank yous, I want to thank Dell Technologies for their support of the Rackspace Solve program. Now, if you'll head over to rackspace.com solve, you'll find articles, you'll find this podcast, you'll find other podcasts like the new one that we have on artificial intelligence called AI and you. Now, if you're not already a subscriber and you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider becoming one and maybe even leaving us one of those five-star reviews. It really does make a difference and we'd really appreciate it. And if you want to contact us here at Solve, just send an email to solve at rackspace.com. Now, here's what we have in store for you next week on Cloud Talk. So, so when I think about distributed cloud, it is the ability for us to take features and capability that we typically associate with public cloud with a big hyperscale provider and be able to disperse those capabilities out uh, regardless of where the location is. And this ties in some to our edge discussion, right? It ties in some to our hybrid cloud discussion, and it ties in even more to the um, idea that we are now going to have uh, all these things that are distributed out and we really need a common control plane. That really to me is what has brought distributed cloud to the forefront. That's next week on Cloud Talk.